Hello, and welcome to Beyond Consulting, brought to you by ECA Partners, the only podcast dedicated to helping our listeners navigate their career after consulting. I'm Ken Canera, host of Beyond Consulting and CEO of ECA Partners, a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused on former management consultants and private equity. Each week, I get to host guests that have spent time in consulting and made some sort of pivot or career change. And today is a special episode. We have a very special guest with us in the studio, Igor Smelyansky, CEO of the Ukrainian Post. Igor, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, everyone. Igor, I was thinking that we could just start off with hearing a little bit about your background and, and, how, and how you got here and, 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 and why it is that I said, hey, Igor, could you join the Beyond Consulting podcast? Sure. Uh, I mean, I started my career in consulting, so um, I began by joining KPMG uh, as a tax accountant, uh, and then um, I graduated in my MBA JD program, and my first big job was, I guess, with Boston Consulting Group. So I grew from consultant to director. Um, after that, uh, in between, I actually left consulting, went uh, to manage the banks, came back to consulting, uh, left again. Then uh, I joined KPMG m and practice in New York. And that's where, after that, I joined uh, Ukrainian Postal Service as a CEO. And on July 1st, it will be six years uh, as I'm a CEO of the company. Wow. So from consulting to uh, CEO, of probably the most important postal service role uh, there is right now in, in the entire world. Uh, that's incredible. So, Igor, I would love for to dig in uh, to kind of what your role is now and and how that's kind of evolved from call it kind of pre-invasion to, uh, you know, kind of wartime efforts. Um, do you maybe want to just start with kind of what your responsibilities were uh, prior to this and, 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 and how things have maybe shifted? Uh, yeah, I mean, prior to this, now it seems so easy, uh, even though it was... Uh... It was difficult. I mean, when I joined, it was uh, one of the worst state-run companies in the country. Um, we've lost all the market share. Uh, we had 11,000 branches, only 20% of them had computers. So the rest was all manual. Uh, I think the all, average age of the car was about 18 years old. Uh, so, but again, now it seems uh, that uh, those problems were not that big. But nevertheless, um, but it's, it's important because what we've done prior to war uh, helped us during the war. Uh, there is no way we would have done what we've done uh, the first hundred days of the war if it was not the preparation we've done before. Uh, we've managed to change lots of IT systems. We now have sometimes over 6 million bots per second uh, attacks. Uh, that we need to, uh, for example, respond to. Um, we um, have a new truck fleet, a uh, new, new car, and actually a new model that allowed us to deliver pensions, for example, in every single village in Ukraine during the war. Um, we do basically assessment at 6 a.m. in the morning, every morning, uh, the military state of affairs, uh, sort of where there's, there's been bombing, where it's safe or not safe uh, to go because, I mean, it's basically people's lives. Uh, we've made one mistake uh, and we've lost two lives at the beginning of the war. Um, now we have even more stringent procedures. But basically, before the war, it was almost like a normal postal service. We've been striving to get the market share. We've been investing in IT. 
in the new sorting centers, in new trucks, in new products, in catching up uh, on international. Actually, I'm proud that two years ago, we got the prize as the best, best postal service in the world for international uh, e-commerce because we've teaching. Uh, and again, that was important now. We've taught thousands of people how to sell on Amazon, eBay, and Etsy. Uh, now, even during the war, even, uh, I mean, it's amazing, in between the bombing, they're still doing their product and selling it uh, through us to Amazon, Etsy, eBay. I mean, we've launched uh, all airports in Ukraine has been closed, uh, shut down or destroyed. Uh, so we've now created a new logistical scheme where we're taking uh, our stuff to Europe and flying from Europe, uh, either through our charter flights or through other flights. And during the war, obviously, it's uh, trying to provide basic services plus delivering humanitarian aid plus helping uh, companies evacuate from east to west. Uh, and obviously, our regular things became more difficult because, I mean, uh, we, for example, we need to deliver pensions in cash to 3 million around the country. Imagine the operations where you need to get the cash, you need to get through the military zones. Uh, sometimes even you have to negotiate with an enemy. And, uh, and it's basically daily daily activity that you do. And then uh, we now have new processes of restoring our operations after certain cities or villages been freed up. So our military comes, then we have demining, then we usually send our movable branch because usually there is no electricity or power or water uh, or anything. So we start working through movable branch, delivering money, and usually it's food. And then over two, three weeks uh, period, we restore our branch and uh, work as normal. So for example, in Kyiv region, uh, the capital of Ukraine, um, where, I mean, the, uh, our enemy was basically in the, in the Kyiv. Uh, now it's been freed up uh, by, by now in just two months, uh, we restore 95% of our branches. And I, I, just basically, I, just came, I just came from one of the cities that now everyone I think knows in the world, Bucha and Baradyanka and Erpain, um, talk to our staff and I think we'll restore the rest in the next uh, months and a half. So uh, the construction is already on the way. Uh, so that's basically how it changed. It's normal postal service, but during the wartime. Wow. So it, it really depends, uh, Igor, which region it, it is in terms of kind of like the strategy. Uh, well, current strategy, obviously, that changes from from day to day, it sounds like. It, it is, and it's a, a lot. Uh, I spent, even before the war, but now even more than that, I've spent a lot of time on psychological issues because we have Western part of the country, which is almost, almost uh, in peacetime except for occasional shelling that keeps people on their toes every time. And then we have eastern part of the country. Uh, I just came actually from the front lines uh, and it's a war. I mean, uh, people are dying there every day. You don't have water, you don't have electricity. Uh, it's, uh, you know, the trucks or people can get shot anytime. And it's important to keep the focus of the team to remind them that, I mean, it's still a war. Even though it may not seem like it with you, for example, in Kyiv. Uh, but uh, again, a lot of the things, it's like uh, managing different psychological uh, state of affairs. Because uh, what I notice is uh, people quickly go from uh, thanking you for just being there, because not that many companies stay, to, to demanding uh, you working as a pre-war SLAs. 
So they still now want their parcel next day. And uh, imagine now it's curfew. So we have a curfew, uh, which makes it very difficult, A, to deliver, B, for the employees to get to shifts, to night shifts and get from night shifts. So we have to redesign the shift periods so people can get before curfew and leave after. And then we need to redesign the trucks uh, so the tracking time uh, can be also. That's why, for example, after 21 years, we've relaunched a delivery post via rail because uh, railway is going at night, uh, even during curfew time. So we, uh, I think it was the fastest startup. Uh, we launched it in five days, no memorandums, no contracts. Uh, I've just met with the CEO, who is a friend of mine from railway company, and we've done it in five days. So we're joking and on Saturday, we had the beer in Lviv, uh, and then in uh, six days, we've been launching the first railway car uh, delivering mail. That's incredible. And, and I just want to step, I want to actually dive into the to the, to the railway uh, in a second, but I just want to back up to the kind of leadership uh, point that you had brought up. Um, I, I have seen a lot of photos. Yes, I mean, uh, I think it's important to set an example. It's important to be with your employees especially during this time, and said, I've been delivering uh, posts and pensions with them to physically lines. Uh, and when they see that I am with them, it's easier, A, it's encouraging them. B, it's important, I mean, you know, we live in the, in the world of media. They want to see the CEO next to them. They want uh, to see that person, whoever that may be, not in the, in the office. Because when that someone in the office, he or she loses credibility. When uh, when I travel, when they see me every day, um, uh, even during the war, we have 24 regions, like you know, 1951 uh, states. So in Ukraine, it's 24 regions. And during wartime, I've been now in 21 of them. In in some more times in war in war zones, have been more often than in other ones. So next week will be the last three that they visited during the war, because again, it's important for people to see me. They're waiting until nighttime just to see me, uh, to talk, to ask what they need. I, it's important to me. It's important to me what they feel. Uh, every time I come from the trip, it's something that I can change. It's something that uh, we can change as a company. Uh, some products, well, I just came from Kharkiv region, I was in the village and they said, we need medicine. There are no pharmacies. So uh, I think in a week, we'll try to find a way to uh, deliver medicine to them. Uh, so, but again, I believe in this world of media, in the world that people need to see leadership and decisive leadership. It's been, uh, I've talked to a few of my friends who are big on corporate governance. I said, no democracy here, no board meetings or anything. Uh, it's my decisions. Decisions need to be done fast. Um, there's no really time to, Whatever it is, I mean, I make mistakes uh, as any other person. I mean, I'm a human being, and sometimes when you work 20 hours a day, you do make mistakes. But uh, it has to be passive. It has to be fast. Uh, oftentimes, it's black and white. Uh, so during the war, the gray zone disappears, kind of. Uh, different gray zones appear where, okay, so I negotiate with an enemy. Is it good or not? Um, some people say it's good, sometimes some people say it's not. I mean, for example, there is a Geneva Convention view on the war that the enemy is responsible for people behind enemy lines. Uh, there is a different uh, viewpoint that, well, I mean, if you don't take, care about, uh, don't take care about your people, 
they will think you just forgot about them and they may actually help an enemy. Uh, so I, I'm rather the proponent of the latter and I said, okay, we, we, those are our people and whatever we can do to help them, even if it means negotiating, obviously within Ukrainian law, uh, negotiating, we have to do it. What it means is obviously I have to be more careful in what I say, because you can understand the emotions are high when you're losing your people, uh, when you see what they are doing to our people. But then I know also know that they are following my posts on Facebook, on Telegram, they're reading what I say, they're viewing what I say. So if I am sometimes can be harsher, it can backfire and endanger lives of my people. So, um, but on the other hand, it's an, uh, it's a weapon. If I want to push them, I know what to say on the video that will make their life more difficult, that make them to negotiate with me. So uh, it's balancing. And again, it's a, what I say, it's a war, it, it's a war of emotions. The CEOs or the leaders need to help the positive emotions uh, of your team, of your clients, uh, of your country, uh, because what the way I see it, our enemies are defending the past. So we're defending the future. And um, you have to do it to bring up the morale. Uh, that's why, yes, I'm 100%. Uh, it, it's a, uh, to be honest, it's a hard balance. Because when I travel, I cannot do things that I would need to do, like uh, work with the documents, work with the processes, analyze some of the things. It, it's a difficult balancing. Act. If, if, I if I could do it, I would travel five days a week. But I understand, I mean, there are stuff that there is a stuff that needs to be done. So now I try to balance. So for the first part of the week, I usually in the office. And then the second part of the week, uh, I'm on the road. And when you're in occupied areas where you're having to negotiate with the enemy um, for the uh, the greater good of, you know, getting the critical supplies to the, the, the people that need them, I guess, could you tell us a little bit about what that's like? Because I can't imagine for anyone listening that we've ever been in a situation like that in our entire life. I've never been in that situation. So it's, uh, you know, there is no book, uh, how do you manage the company? Maybe I'll write one. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, how do you manage the company during time of war? Uh, there are things you just learn. Uh, you just, uh, I think it's important to keep an eye on uh, what you believe in. So you need to have that compass of, okay, so I believe in this. And wherever it is that I have to make a decision, that's what my guiding principle is. Because, you know, you cannot change it every time. Um, you know, do you fire people? Or don't you fire people? Uh, wh what do you do with that? Uh, let's say, uh, let me give you an example. You probably have read lots of refugees left Ukraine, right? Uh, some of them my employees, do I wait for them or fire them and get the new ones instead? Um, you know, there is no black and white, right? So on one hand, do you continue paying them salary? Do you continue to pay them uh, partial salary? Uh, wh what you do? So again, there is no book because it's never been done. Um, I've seen some foreign companies, they keep paying salaries, but I mean, okay, so they've probably been financed by the headquarters because otherwise, where do you get the money during the war? I mean, uh, our revenue fell 50% in the first month, 50% drop in revenue, and our just uh, employee expenses, 70% of our expense. So the first month we lost tons of money. But again, it was important to think for me to pay people salary, to some people pay more, especially in the danger zone, because there has to be some People are really big on the um, 
fairness. So uh, um, they want to see, they may not like the rules, but the rules have to be fair. Uh, so uh, it's, it's tough when you negotiate, but you just have to convince yourself, first of all, that uh, every retiree that today get the money, uh, it's one more happy person and one more person that actually can survive today. Uh, when I went to Severodonetsk, which is now the hardest fights, um, we went there to deliver pensions. And we have, uh, there, is no, uh, there is no mobile connection, there is no electricity, there is nothing there. Uh, and when um, I personally went, I said, I will deliver myself. And uh, I paid pension to one of the old lady and she said, uh, she, she gives me a piece of paper and says, can you please call my daughter to tell her that I am alive? And then, uh, because she could not, there is no way uh, she can, you know, connect. And then the other one said, well, today is the first time in the month I can buy milk. So um, I think those stories are important. Uh, and I constantly communicate to my employees. I have Telegram, I write them emails. Uh, the communication is key. I mean, they need to, to, to see it. Uh, so I tell them the stories. Why? Because they need to understand that they're not just doing their job. What they do is important to millions of people. So behind every delivered parcel, it's someone's clothing that they forgot when they ran away. Uh, behind uh, every pension, it's a person that can survive. Because we don't know, uh, like today, we cannot deliver to Severodonetsk. But we know they have money now. They can, yeah. they can survive for some time. So every delivered pension, it's someone who can live on it uh, for some time. So I think the communication is a key. You have to communicate a lot. Uh, it's important for people to see themselves as well. So every time I come, you probably seen it from the trip. There are my pictures with my employees. It's important for them to see themselves. Uh, I mean, again, it's a media time, right? So they want to see the selfie with the CEO. Uh, it's a huge morale boost for them. Uh, you know, they will share. I sign something. Uh, so uh, in general, obviously, CEO visits are big, but especially during the war, it's a huge morale boost, especially in the military zones which are close to um, close to the war zone. Absolutely. And when you're when you're in those situations, when also when you're negotiating with the enemy, do you ever get the sense that the enemy doesn't want to be there? Uh, it depends. Okay. Uh, I cannot say everything, but uh, first of all, consulting and actually my legal skills help because I understand how they think. Also, when I negotiate with different regions, I also understand that they don't communicate. They have a different version of working. So Russians work through Kremlin. They don't communicate in parallel. They don't communicate with each other. They do it through this. Yes, but so it's important when you negotiate, you say, okay, do they know what I just negotiated uh, in the region next to them? No, they don't. Uh, because that's how the information flows. So uh, I think, again, it, it's important. I mean, all those negotiating classes and stuff, uh, I mean, the good ones, obviously, uh, it, it's important. You need to think how they think. You need to understand what's important to them. So uh, the leverage you have. And uh, then you can be, I mean, not 100% not successful, but then you understand, for example, if it's an enemy who used to be Ukrainian citizen, they have uh, one motivation. If it's Russians from Russia, they have a different motivation. Don't, they don't give a shit about people there. If it's someone local who became a traitor, it's different. They still have a pressure from local citizens. Uh, they feel it. So 
you uh, again i think today ceo have to be psychologist uh, have to have this negotiating skills uh have to understand the situation and then uh, they can be more successful wow that's incredible and thanks for sharing the story uh, about the elderly woman too i think that really kind of puts 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 it in perspective well, I mean, uh, some of the people can relate. So imagine you live in some remote area of in the U.S. You know, in some small village in Montana. So they don't have connection, which means they cannot use their bank card, right? So the only thing you can use is cash, right? Because if if, if you don't have a connection or if you don't have electricity, or let's say you have electricity but you don't have a mobile connection, the terminal cannot work. So you cannot accept payments uh, through the card. It means the only thing that works is cash. And so, so obviously, there's kind of the on the ground logistics component, um, and you've you've talked about that, Igor, a lot. But um, talk to us a little bit about kind of a lot of the work that you were doing uh, prior to the war and and during the war from a technology and IT perspective, because I I I think that's obviously a, a big component to your success as well. It is. I mean, uh, it's funny. I mean, some of the things we put away. But uh, you have to go with the flow. So you probably read our stamp became a huge uh, international success. You know, the uh, Russian worship go F yourself stamp. We had to launch internet store like in three days. Uh, then we launched internet store, it became a huge success. And then Russian boats uh, started cyber attacking, you know, start, start huge cyber attacks that we, we cannot hold. So we, do, we did the second attempt. They still killed us. Then we did the third attempt to kill us. Then I realized, okay, there is no way you can have a one website that can withstand such a huge attacks. So we did four stores now, or now actually five. Um, now we're more successful. I mean, we are selling, I think the last uh, last stamp we did online was 250,000 orders. 250,000 orders. Um, we became the first postal service in the world that opened the store on eBay. And we uh, soon open one in, on Amazon. So uh, uh, the merchandise line with uh, the stamp and everything. Uh, you just, uh, and for all, you need IT. You need IT that basically changes every day because you know the way the cyber attacks work. They try different ways. They try different scenarios. So you have to be adaptable. Uh, you have to build your system so they can work if part of the system does not work or if um, can you do it's funny we've done so much to digitalize the company but sometimes it backfires because once people learn how to do it on the computer even the same people that they've done it on the paper for 20 years they cannot go back because after a year on the computer they forgot how they it was working on the paper so that process doesn't work anymore uh and sometimes during the war you do need that process so, um, but again, we investing heavily in IT. We'll keep continue investing. Uh, we did ERP implementation in record time, eight months. Uh, I don't think anybody had done it before in, in that record time. Yeah, I just said um, we have to do it, and we've done it. Uh, we'll can, we actually um, in two weeks. I've relaunching all the IT projects frozen during the war. Uh, we'll continue to invest in IT. We'll continue invest in efficiency uh, because I mean I understand. When we win, there's no, there's no question. We win, we will win this war, but there'll be a toll on the economy. People will get poor. There will be, uh, at the same time, uh, you will have hard time hiring people and uh, keeping them motivated. And uh, that's why you need efficiency. 
You need efficiency so you can keep the prices low. You cannot just do a populism thing and say, okay, I'll keep the prices low, but my expenses went up. Uh, or let government pay for it. No, that's not how it works. Um, I mean, in general, my strategy in the company is I want this company, even though it's a state-owned for now, uh, to be as independent as it can. Because when you ask someone from the government, they can ask someone in return. But they, they can ask something in return. So I believe the more independent you can get, uh, the better uh, the better. I think that's right. Um, and, and, and those those stories are pretty incredible. And so for those listeners who, who don't know about uh, the, the stamp, um, this is a pretty cool story, right? Uh, no, actually, the, the, it's even more complicated story. So the guy actually sends Russian ship telling them uh, the ship uh, told our um, it's actually Navy SEALs. They told our Navy SEALs to surrender. So they in return said, go F yourself. So we issue a stamp on April 12th with the Russian military ship, and then it gets sunk on April 14th in one day. So now people think our stamps have a predictive moment, so they want us to issue a stamp with Putin. So, uh, you know, we issue a stamp today, he dies tomorrow. Um, but that's, uh, that's also why the stamp became uh, so famous. So the first release of the stamp, we sold one million stamps in, like in three days. And uh, we did the second version called Russian military ship done, uh, dedicated to the fact that it's now a submarine. Uh, and we've sold now by uh, more than five, uh, almost five million stamps. So uh, we f- finished selling it uh, soon. So uh, there are some on eBay if anybody wants to buy it. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, are there plans, uh, uh, Igor, to release future stamps uh, as like a way to raise funds for, uh, for wartime support? Yes. Yes, actually, I'm very proud to say that with the first stamp, we've raised more for charity than we collected for the stamp. Uh, just today, I came from a school in Barodyanka. It's one of the cities in Kiev region, which was uh, hit the hardest by Russians. I mean, they killed thousands of people there. They've destroyed it. So on my Facebook, I've announced the auction to collect money uh, to restore computer class because Russians took all the computers from school. Uh, to restore computer class for kids. And in one night I got um, uh, money to restore actually not one school, but two, one in Chernigiv and one in Barodyanka. And today I brought computers to Barodyanka school so kids can start uh, learning again. Uh, we've raised um, a lot of money for Russia, for Ukrainian armed forces. So the last time I went to the front lines, I brought the medicine, I brought actually uh, through US volunteers. Uh, they gave me um, kids. For, for the soldiers, medical kits. Uh, so I brought the medical kits, uh, some of the food supplies, etc. So I'm really happy that uh, we've been able to actually throw IT, by the way. So we realized the uh, charitable component on the stamp. So when you're buying the stamp, you can copay and that money will go to whatever you believe in. So we have like five charitable causes, uh, military, uh, animals, because uh, animals also a big problem. Many people just uh, left and they unfortunately left the animals behind. Uh, we're helping a lot of animal shelters. It's uh, for humanitarian aid delivery. Mm, it's uh, for um, yeah, animals and uh, for restoring our infrastructure, obviously. And then, sorry, and the schools. So, uh, we, because I believe, uh, you know, some things you need to look strategically. So, for example, we're now talking in June. Uh, why I'm so strongly believe in schools and I do my best to help the schools 
because if we don't recall uh, if we don't restore schools by august it means all the refugees with kids will stay outside of the country and if their kids will go to school in poland in spain in italy it means we've just lost that family at least for a year and maybe forever so some of the things and uh, some of them are my employees some of them are my clients uh so i'm strongly in, in some things you need to think above and outside of your company at wartime to see how certain factors will impact tomorrow how you work how do you think this thing plays out i wish i knew i wish i knew i mean i do know it's not going to be fast um again just because i know how they think um i cannot say all the things but again i know how negotiations go um they can they have different view on things they don't care about people's lives i mean for putin uh during one of the negotiations one of the world leaders said you can kill one million of your people and he says well it's 0.15 percent of my population so um but again it's bad it's horrible but you have to understand how they think because if you want to win you need to understand how they think um so uh, it, it's um it's a war of past. I mean, if you look at their symbols, they're not, they're not, there are no symbols of the future at all. I mean, if you look at Russian propaganda, they're recalling World War II, they're recalling uh, Gagarin and, you know, the first flight, they're recalling uh, USSR hockey team. There is no one symbol about the future. None. They're depending the past, which they think is glorious. I mean, They've done, uh, they've done a solid job on propaganda, extremely solid. I mean, you just have to, again, you, you, you cannot underestimate your enemy. You have to study them. You have to see how they communicate, because if you want to win, you need to understand all of it. Uh, so yes, they've done, uh, they've sold, it's amazing. They've done people like me and you, I mean, uh, we are slightly older, but uh, they sold 20 year old kids that never lived in Soviet Union. Never lived. I mean, Soviet Union been broken. What is now? Uh, before, like you know, twenty years ago, uh, they have amazing view of the Soviet Union. They think it was the best country in the world. I mean, they don't know it was long lines of people. You don't have a toilet paper. You did not have enough food. Uh, so they've sold that idea about the past, and now they're selling them idea that you need to defend that glorious past. So, but again, it's not good or bad. It just uh again as you study your competitors right in consulting we do swot analysis right uh we do competitor analysis same thing during the war you you have to understand where they're strong and where they're weak and uh, where it's a propaganda where they believe in things uh who believes in it but but also i think you know it's important uh it's something personal because i think uh the stories are better than when they're personal um BCG, McKinsey, uh, Accenture, everyone been working in Russia, right? Uh, people with Harvard, uh, INSEAD, uh, Princeton, uh, my Georgetown uh, degrees are working there. So you would think they're smart people have been working there, right? Uh, but a lot of them do believe in this stuff now. So when you talk, uh, I don't know if you get the chance to interview someone or meet someone from uh, Russia, 
um it was it, it was something that was uh i would say painful to me painful to my wife because she was also graduate from uh INSEAD, uh from and uh when people from there don't uh don't talk to you when after beginning yeah i mean uh, friends of ours that know where i am no never wrote after the beginning of the war didn't even ask uh how i'm doing so it's between believing in that crap that the russia sold them and being afraid uh, but uh, that's how you lost a lot of people but again not people from uh, you know mechanics from far east it's the people with harvard diplomas and uh, so it's uh, i think after this war or sometimes even during this war there will be a lot of work for psychologists uh, how people of that uh, again they're not stupid right i mean if, if they've been able to get where they are uh they have uh, at least some logical abilities and uh, they support it or at least they're neutral or there's actually now a favorite phrase called well not everything is black and white and that's how you convince yourself uh well i mean what do you do if you decided to stay in russia so if you at least reasonably uh, you know have some part of your brain you cannot support it at the same time, if you stay in Russia, you need to explain yourself why you're staying in a country which is killing millions of people. They said, well, I mean, I have to find some reason. And that's how you find, well, not everything is black and white. You try to find yourself a justification why uh, you would do something or why you would work somewhere. Uh, but uh, those are also the cases as well. Yeah, and well, and, and your point is actually well taken. And Igor, I would love to turn the conversation to exactly that. And that that is... Um, you know, what What could the rest of the world and specifically the U.S. be doing more of um, from a from a individual perspective, from a business perspective um, and a government perspective? Uh, I mean, there's a simple answer. We need more arms. Um, this war will not be won by, you know, people, human force. I mean, uh, we obviously are proud of our heroes but uh this war will be won on rockets so i just was in the kharkiv region and our armed forces move russians back to russian border but the russian border is about 10 kilometers or 20 kilometers from ukrainian cities they have rockets that can reach 60 70 kilometers so it doesn't really matter uh if we kick them out of ukraine they can still shoot the targets now imagine if they can shoot the targets can you imagine u.s business investing in kharkiv if anything they invest in can be destroyed in one minute. No, they won't. No, they won't. I mean, um, no one in their sound mind will be investing anything. Imagine, I mean, the Russians will be waiting until you build the plan for $50 million, and then in one day it will be gone. Um, so, as I said, um, from the government perspective, I think we need to create a sense of security. Uh, and that sense of security for investments as well uh, comes from having modern arms. Where Russians need to know if they send a rocket that either that rocket is shot down or Ukraine has a rocket that can shoot Russia. So there is a famous uh, bridge that's been built to Crimea. Uh, that bridge is used by Russians to supply, uh, basically, to support their troops. If we would have a rocket that can hit that bridge, you just destroy the bridge, you cut down the supplies. It means less people are dying, uh, the war is faster, comes. I mean, I think people understand. Uh, I'm pretty sure, I mean, U.S. Army have really qualified people. I mean, they understand uh, what Ukraine needs to get uh, to win this war. 
they're trying a difficult uh, dance of uh, not upset Russia. And what about, okay, that makes sense. And what about U.S. businesses? Um, I don't think they can do pro bono work just because uh, they have risk managers that will not allow people to fly in. Uh, and to really do a consulting work, you need to, to feel it. I mean, you need to understand. That's what actually I demand from my managers. I said, okay, if you want to work with me, you have to travel. I understand it's not 100% safe. I understand the Western companies would not allow it, but I don't see any other way. Um, I think the best U.S. can do is actually to design that Marshall Plan uh, that everyone's talking about. I think that would be uh, the Russia's worst fear is successful Ukraine. They can live with everything, but the nearby country, uh, which is successful. Again, let's go back to the Cold War. It was won by the U.S. not in arms, uh, it was won because in the U.S. you had the house, you had the microwave, you had food, and you have Coca-Cola and jeans and McDonald's, right? That's how you win the war. But I mean, the reality is that's that's how you win the war. That's how you win the whole Eastern Europe. And unless that Marshall Plan, this defense is designed, I mean, you're not going to tell Ford go build the plant in Ukraine if it can be destroyed by Russia in one day. So you need to design the system where you can tell your businesses that, look, uh, yes, it's good to invest in Ukraine, we'll give you whatever tax credits, uh, B, we'll ensure your investments, and C, we'll put, uh, just to make sure that insurance works, we put our armed forces or defense mechanism to make sure that Russia doesn't bomb your businesses the first day. Okay, I like that. I, I love how forward-looking that is as well. Um, because uh, funnily enough, even before uh, the the war effort, e even we were thinking about uh, opening a small office in Ukraine. Uh, obviously, uh, you know things have things have changed, but in the future, your point is you need to secure that investment so that the uh, U.S. and rest of the world can can feel good about investments in Ukraine in the future. And my personal view, not because I lived in the U.S. Uh, and I love the country, I do believe uh, U.S. model, even though it becomes more socialistic than I would love it, uh, but um, U.S. model is more suitable for Ukraine to quickly recover and grow than the European ones. Uh, I always give that example uh, when they, uh, you know, Ukraine, the reason uh, Russia says the reason for this war is Euro Ukraine, European inspiration. So Ukraine wants to become of EU and Russia doesn't want that. Um, so I often uh, speak in front of the students and I ask, so are we going to EU? I said, yeah, sure, we're going to EU. He's like, great, name the top 10 European companies that became famous over the past 10 years. And there is a silence. And like, again, top 10. There is a silence. And name the top 10 US companies that became famous over the past 10 years. Not a problem to name. Amazon, Google, you know, uh, Uber, Facebook, anything. And name the Asian companies that became famous. Alibaba, Huawei, etc. So do you see an issue? There is an issue. Uh, it's... Um, uh, in the US, I think the right statistic is three out of four businesses closed in the first two years. Uh, but then the one that survives, the whole environment is made to make sure that company can become a star. You don't have that many trade unions. You have great legal system because it's built on the precedent. You have venture capital. Uh, uh, you have you know market, etc. In Europe, it's reverse. 
they're doing everything they can. They even send a nanny to you so you can uh, do your business, uh, for your business to grow. But then once it becomes slightly larger, they're doing everything to kill it, like 80% tax, uh, you know, trade unions, you cannot fire anybody for 36 months, etc., etc. So that's why U.S. is built uh, the rules that are most suitable for today's world. And just, you know, simple example, I'm one, one of my educations, I'm a U.S. educated attorney. So I said, look, um, in 19th century, things were not changing as fast. You could get 200 reasonably smart people in the parliament to adopt some good laws. You know, and that's what happens during, after World War II. Now, world changes daily. So imagine 200 people in the parliament that know about biotech, high tech. Uh, how do you even get them to, under, to understand it? I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, poor countries, I'm not even developed ones. So in the US, it's enough to have a really cool judge in California that all he or she does is biotech cases or judge in Delaware that knows corporate law or etc. So the system is adaptable. It can quickly adapt and not wait for 200 people to understand what the heck is biotech is. And, you know, in business, uh, uncertainty is killing your plan. So even bad certainty is better than uncertainty. So again, I wish that Ukraine takes more of the U.S. model that helped U.S. to become what it became uh, and U.S. be more active. I mean, you should not be shy. I mean, you should just be honest. If things don't work uh, the way Europe works, then you just don't adopt the model that does not work. Igor, this has been like a true lesson in leadership for me uh, personally to have you on and, and, and listen to you talk about kind of how you think about leading the company and how you think about, you know, when you're communicating with your team and, and, and negotiating with uh, with the enemy. I mean, obviously something that I've never had to do, uh, but um, it, it's incredible what you're doing. Um, I cannot thank you enough for, for joining Um any, I guess, any other kind of, I guess, last minute uh, advice? I know this podcast is normally dedicated to, uh, call it life beyond consulting, but you have such a unique story. Like no one else has this, this story after consulting. So anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, I mean, first of all, my life in consulting had prepared me for what I'm doing today. Uh, analytical skills, uh, negotiating skills, um, most probably the key is ability to work with huge amounts of material, with uncertainty, uh, with uh, leading teams. Uh, it all came from my work in consulting and I'm extremely thankful for my team, for my managers, for partners, for the experience that I've gotten in consulting. Uh, I don't think I will discover anything new that um, if you want to do, if the result is extremely important to you, then you don't need to leave consulting at some point and go to the executive position. Because at the end of the day, when my son asked me, what have I done today? And we now actually talk daily. Uh, they asking me the following the news, we're discussing it. So I can tell them what exactly I've done today. So for me, at some point, the result became very important. I wanted to tell my kids, what I've done, not what I advised to do, but what actually I had done. Um, so, but again, for people in consulting, uh, I think if you want challenge, if you want to be challenged uh, intellectually, 
you should stay in consulting. Uh, I don't think there's anything compares to that. If you want, if uh, you really want to get the results, you need to go to the industry in the right job, in the right job. For example, I don't think strategy director is the right job if you want to change. It's probably a good first step, but it's not the same as, um, you know, it's not the same as executive role. I love what I do. I mean, uh, I don't think you can work 20 hours a day if you don't like what you do. Um, it's it, it, it's tough. Oftentimes it's very tough. Uh, but again, the stories I've told you, uh, when you have those stories, it helps you to recharge. It helps you to get up and running and uh, do what you do every day. So I think the key is to love what you do. So finding, uh, I think it was uh, Steve Jobs, right? Find the job that you love and you don't have to work any day in your life. Uh, but um, yeah, those are general things. And um, I think people just need to enjoy what they do. If they enjoy consulting, they should do consulting. Uh, you know, my, my dream now is at some point when I retire uh, or leave this job, I will have one week without the phone. Uh, you know, in, in consulting, you can finish a project hang up the phone and go for vacation in the industry. You know, you can do that. Uh, you're on the phone, whether it's a war or not, if you have like in my company, we have 65,000 people, um, uh, just by probability, something happening all the time. Uh, but again, you can influence millions of people lives. I think it's the coolest thing you can have. Uh, it's something that I will remember when I retire, uh, my wife waiting for that uh, fact to happen at some point. Uh, so she doesn't have to check telegram in the morning for the heck I done. Um, but, um, yeah, that's what it is. And I wish everyone, uh, to pick what they love to do. Igor, uh, truly inspiring story. Um, and uh, like I said before, I feel like this has been a, a lesson in leadership, um, just in terms of kind of how you're approaching this from, a from, from a, a, a much bigger mission. Um, and, um, and, and we're excited to share your story, uh, obviously with everyone that we can. Um, and then we will also provide all the links, uh, relevant, uh, to, to, to in the podcast description so that if folks want to either donate or, or, or whatever, or help out, um, they, they have that information. Um, and, um, everyone, uh, you know, uh, you know, look forward to, uh, speaking with everyone, uh, next week. Um, if you're looking for more information on Beyond Consulting, it's beyondconsulting.info. Uh, and you can obviously check out all of our episodes on Spotify and Apple. And if you want to get in touch with me personally, it's eca-partners.com. Igor, thanks so much for joining us and, uh, and, and sharing your score story. Thank you very much for having me.